And this is this is the great fallacy. So in ministry, they don't do this in the military that I'm aware of, if they do correct me. But in ministry, sometimes uh, pastors get sabbaticals. And sometimes in really big, generous companies, you'll get a sabbatical. And so I've seen so many leaders go, I've never taken one, by the way. I've seen so many leaders go into sabbaticals, like, oh, this will heal me, this will heal me. And then they go into their sabbatical, they feel great, and they come back, and by 11 a.m. on the first day back, they get hit by the train, and they're right back where they were. And here's why that doesn't work. Time off won't heal you when the problem is how you spend your time on. And for most of us, it's not your vacation that killed you. The beach was awesome. You know, maybe you cheated on email a little bit every day. Well, we can fix that. That's pretty easy to fix. But but it wasn't the beach. It wasn't the mountains. It wasn't Disney World with your daughter. It was getting back and being hit by a freight train at eight o'clock your first morning back. That's what killed you. And so what this book is about is not how to spend your vacation. Because please take a vacation. I just took a month off. Those are great. But I've got to learn how to live today in a way that will help me thrive tomorrow. Hey, this is Cal Walters with the Intentional Leader Podcast. I first want to thank you for joining us here today. Our mission is to help you intentionally lead yourself, inspire others, and make the world a better place. I hope you enjoy this message. Let's go make it count. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to episode 72 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. I'm so pumped that you're joining us today. Our goal is to help you become a type of leader that inspires others to be their best. And no matter where you are in your leadership journey, whether you're just getting started, whether you're a senior executive, we're going to help you get to the next level. And we do that by bringing on amazing guests with leadership experiences and insights that you can go and apply right away. I'm really pumped for today's episode because we have Carrie Newhoff on the show. This episode was so much fun for me. I'm a big fan of Carrie's. Carrie is a former lawyer and founding pastor of Connexus Church. He's also a best-selling author, blogger, and the host of a top-rated podcast. He's built quite a following over the years. His leadership material is accessed each month by well over 1 million leaders. And I just want to plug Carrie's leadership podcast. It's called the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. I'd highly recommend it. He's a fantastic interviewer. He makes it look so easy. And his conversations, as he describes, are like watching someone have a conversation at dinner. And it's just so casual. It's so calm. He dives into some of the most unappreciated topics of leadership. So go check that out. Highly recommend it. And that's just something I appreciate about Kerry is his willingness to confront some of those harder topics that leaders deal with. He's passionate about helping leaders thrive and develop patterns that they can apply today that help them thrive tomorrow. And so on, on this episode, we talk about a really tough period of burnout that Carrie went through while leading a rapidly growing church. We also discuss his new book, At Your Best, which is all about helping you get your time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. So we really get into some practical stuff you can apply today to avoid burnout and to get at your best and how you work and to help your team get at your best. And this book, At Your Best, it actually comes out today. So if you're listening to this podcast on September 14th, today is the release date of this book. So go check it out. Also, obviously, if you listen after that, the book will be out. I'll put links to the book in the show notes of this episode, but I encourage you to go check out his book, At Your Best. Hey, and if you're new to this show, I want to say thank you, first of all, for being here. A little bit about us. We release a new episode every two weeks. 
And our hope is that every time you come to this podcast, you walk away inspired and you walk away with practical leadership lessons from each session that you can go and apply right away to your leadership. So please, if you want to make sure you get all the episodes that come straight to you every two weeks, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also access our blog content on my website at calwalters.me. We release a blog every other week. So every week you're getting something from the Intentional Leader team to inspire you and to give you practical tips in your life and in your leadership. And I want to give a special thank you to all of you that continue to share this podcast with your network, with your friends, through word of mouth, on social media. I, I see all of that. And I hear about it, and I'm so thankful for you doing that. Also, thank you to all of you who have taken a few minutes to rate or review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. There's something in the algorithms that when people rate and review a podcast, it helps it grow, and it helps it become more accessible to people who are looking for this type of content. So I am so thankful to all of you who have done that. I, I would really appreciate it if you've been listening to this for a little while and you've gotten something out of it, please take just a few minutes, maybe even right now, and just go on Apple Podcast. Please just rate it, whatever you think we deserve, hopefully five stars. And if you take a few minutes to write a review, I would really appreciate that. I also wanna ask you to consider joining the Intentional Leader Lab on Facebook. This is a free resource and group for leaders to come and debate leadership ideas, to share a struggle or a problem that you need some advice on, or just to share resources as leaders, as we try to grow, it's private, it's free, and it's all about growing in your leadership. So go check it out. Just type in Intentional Leader Lab on Facebook, and you'll be able to access that today. And so we're talking today with Carrie about being at your best. And one of the things we highlight is that, man, leadership is tough. Leading yourself is tough. It's increasingly complex in this world of technology and distraction and burnout. And so if you need some help, it's okay. And one of the great resources out there that can help you and your team get to that next level is our sponsor today, which is Higher Echelon Incorporated. Higher Echelon is a leadership development and organizational performance consulting firm providing human capital and technology services to optimize performance. Higher Echelon can help prepare your organization to meet the rapidly changing, complex, and often ambiguous requirements of today's world by developing resilient and adaptive leaders modernizing and enhancing your processes and implementing transformational technology solutions. Those, those big three, that's what they help you with. They help you with your leaders, your systems, your processes, and then ultimately your technology. And if you get all three of those right, you're going to be getting to that next level as a team. So go visit higherechelon.com to connect with Dr. Joe Ross and the amazing team at Higher Echelon to learn more about how they can help you and your team. For show notes for this episode, just go visit calwalters.me. You can also check out our YouTube channel if you want to watch these interviews and see other leadership content by video. And without any further ado, let's dive into how you and your team can be at your best with the great Carrie Newhoff. All right, Carrie. Well, welcome to the show. It is an honor and a privilege to have you on today. Cal, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. I currently lead a team of prosecutors, as we were talking about a little bit before we hit record. And, you know, I'm constantly thinking about one, how to make sure that they feel encouraged and that they appreciate how important the work they do is, but also I'm constantly worried about burnout. Hmm. And so looking at your book at your best and, and some of the writing that you do and some of the topics that you cover, and one, I just appreciate that you're willing to go into topics for leaders that sometimes aren't covered like mental health and burnout. Yeah. 
uh, because that's what that's what real life is often uh, brings. And so I, I'm excited to talk about this topic today. And I think a good place to start would be with your story. So 2006, you're leading the fastest growing church in your denomination, and I'm sure from the outside things look really good. Yeah. But internally, you're burning out, and maybe even there were some external signs of that too. So take us to 2006 and kind of what ended up leading to that season of burnout for you. Totally took me by surprise. In in fact, in the work I've done in the 15 years since I burned out, I've learned that most people who are burned out, Cal, don't even know they're burned out. Like, And it was a surprise to me. Looking back on it, knowing what I know now, there were signs for years that I was going to burn out. And you mentioned external people. I had people telling me for the three or four years leading up to my burnout, Carrie, slow down. You're going to burn out. Carrie, slow down. You're going to really? burn out. I was in my 30s. And like, I'm, I'm superhuman. I'm not going to burn out. Like, you know, weak people do that. Wimpy <laughs> people do that. And, you know, we got, we got it going on here. Like we got, got a growing church. We, we don't know where to fit all the people. Uh, I'm hiring staff. Things are going really well. And, you know, there were some struggles like at home. My wife's written a book as well about our marriage. That was a, a dark season for our marriage. And we didn't have like, there was no affair. There was no other person. There was no story, no headline, no scandal, but we were just, just not having fun. And I was stressed and I didn't know how to take that stress out properly. Um, so it came home with me and often I would show up after a long day. And at the time I worked at a church, you know, and I, I was just tired. And so you come home and you expect to be served, which is never a good recipe for marriage. It's like, <laughs> I left it all on the field, man. I got nothing left for you, nothing left for the kids. And uh, it was rough, but I used my success to justify my dysfunction. And when I look back on it now, like there was some idolatry involved, like growth was a goal. And yeah. I, I, I mean... At the time, if you talk to 37-year-old me, it would be like, no, I love Jesus. I'm a person of faith. This is God's church. We're growing it. So it's, there, there wasn't anything sinister or Machiavellian. But like looking back on it, yeah, I was too motivated by performance, too motivated by growth. And ironically, the burnout hit when I would hit my pinnacle. Our church was the biggest it had ever been. We were in double-digit growth. Uh, I'd always kind of secretly wanted to be a speaker. So I just passed my 40th birthday. I'd gotten to know Andy Stanley, who is one of the most influential church pastors in America around that time. Probably Andy and I met in 0405. In 06, he and Reggie Joyner invited me to speak at North Point. I got in front of a, a crowd of 2,500 people, leaders from around the world, most people I'd ever spoken to in one time. And uh, apparently I did a great job on the talk. Like I worked for months on it and I quote, killed it. Right. So it was awesome. My wife, my kids were with me. We were down in Atlanta and then we flew home. And when I got off the plane in Toronto, it's like I, I fell off a cliff mm -hmm. and highly passionate, highly motivated, very driven guy almost overnight, like within, it's almost like the air came out of a balloon, mm -hmm. you know, when you're like, oh, look at this. It's great. And then it's like, yeah. Psh. yeah. So it all came out at once. I lost my passion. I lost my drive. I lost my energy. And usually you're like, okay, you know, I got to go to bed early tonight, or uh, I'll go for a, a bike ride, or 
Uh, you know, let me take the weekend off. I'll be fine. And the more I did, the worse it got. Hmm. And I thought, oh crap, like I, I don't have control anymore. And that's a scary thing. If you're into full on burnout, you don't have control. And it was for three or four months from May until about September of 2006, where I was probably clinically depressed, which was so uncharacteristic of me. I had no energy, no motivation, no joy, um, didn't lose my faith, uh, still wanted to work at the church, but just you know, had some muscle memory to get me through that. I took, I think, three weeks off and I thought, okay, this will be the elixir. Like I, three weeks off, I'll be fine. I was worse at the end of the three weeks than I was when I started. <laughs> Interesting. And I'm like, oh crap, like this is burnout. And then mm. by the grace of God, I started to get a flicker of hope back maybe early in the fall of that year. And then I went from like 30% functionality to maybe 50% to maybe 70%. And because I'd been in leadership, I was 40, 41 at the time. You know, I had enough muscle memory that you can you can fake it, not in a mm-hmm. in a bad way. Like I don't believe this anymore. I'm going to put an act on. No, I believed mm-hmm. it. I just couldn't feel it. But you yeah. have muscle memory. And then within a, a year, I was like maybe 70% back to normal. So on the outside, if we met, it would seem fine. Mm-hmm. But it was three to five years, five years really, until I finally would say I was healed and I wasn't limping anymore. I guess to a certain extent, you always walk with a limp after that. But, you know, where I thought, okay, I am at 100% function. And then what I realized in, and we'll probably spend a lot of time on that today, so I won't, I won't go into it now. But as I retooled, like I knew, because you want to get back to normal so badly if you've been burned out. And then I realized, no, normal got me sick. Normal got me in the mm-hmm. ditch. I need a new normal. Mm-hmm. So I hired coaches and counselors and um, discovered that not only did I get back to normal, but changing some fundamental patterns, my, my capacity expanded exponentially. And now I'm leading way more than I did back then, but there's a joy, there's margin in my life. I, I'm just back from a month off, like a full month off, a no cheater vacation. And my team hit a record year, like a record month. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was great. So it's a really different place. And my heartbeat is I'd love to see every leader get there. You write in your book that 70% of adults in their 20s and 30s now say that they're they're experiencing some level of burnout. So I can imagine there's a lot of leaders listening to this that can relate to maybe all or part of that story. And it's interesting to hear you say that you didn't see it coming. And, and now you've obviously experienced it and you've, you've gotten out of it and you've written this book to help other leaders do it. I know you talk about it a lot, but I'm just curious now looking back, what are some of the signs that you are burning out? Because I'm sure even now you're not immune to it. Oh um, no, I think about them every day. So what what yeah. do you what would you offer to leaders as okay if if you see these warning signs, then you are either burnt out or you're heading in that direction when you look back on that experience? Yeah, there are there are a number of markers. And again, let me just put a asterisk here. I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a psychologist, but I have helped thousands of leaders with this. So I have a rough idea and and, and checked it with some medical friends. So I'm I'm reasonably confident from a layperson's opinion, you're going to get a, a reasonable diagnosis. But um, one, your passion's gone. You used to be a passionate person. Uh, second sign could be you feel kind of numb. Like in, when you're emotionally healthy, you feel the highs and the lows. So uh, you find out that this couple you know who've been trying to conceive for five years finally got pregnant. 
and it seems to be a healthy pregnancy. You should feel joy, but you don't feel anything. Mm. And you're like, oh yeah, good for you. So on the outside, you're like clapping mm-hmm. and cheering and yeah. liking their Instagram, but on the inside, you're dead. That's a sign. And conversely, when bad things happen, you should feel sad. Like you should, if somebody dies, like, and as a pastor at the time, you deal with death on a regular basis. And I wasn't feeling that anymore. So, or same with your kids, right? You're just kind of numb all the time. Or if you feel emotions, they're disproportionate. So your eight-year-old was supposed to mow the lawn. Maybe that's a bit young. Your 12-year-old was supposed to mow the lawn. (laughs) You don't want them chopping their toes off. Uh, and, And he doesn't do it. And you know, that's, what is that? Like a three out of 10 on, on a life scale problem, (laughs) but you have a nuclear meltdown Mm. on him and it's like, whoa, that was disproportionate. Mm -hmm. Or conversely, something really terrible happens. Let's say your, your spouse or girlfriend has a horrible day and you're like, yeah, whatever. Indifferent. Mm -hmm. It's like, whoa, okay. That is not a healthy response. A couple of other things, self-medication. So people self-medicate in different ways, quite obviously alcohol, drugs, um, even prescription drugs that you're overly reliant on are not taken, uh, taking according to prescription, but it could be um, overworking. So as a pastor and a Christian, I didn't want to drink or do drugs, but I just went back to work, just crack open that laptop mm-hmm. and do more work. So the very thing that yeah. is getting you sick, overworking mm-hmm. is making you sicker, but you don't know that at the time. You could be oversleeping. It could be sex, like your sex gets weird or, or you, you develop a sexual addiction Um, food is another socially acceptable form of medication, self-medication. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to numb the pain, but what you need to do is remove the thing that's causing the pain, but self-medication will, will try to numb the pain. And, um, other thing, obviously you're not sleeping, you're experiencing anxiety, but the real thing about burnout and like normal everyday life, because I still get stressed. Life can be Mm. stressful at times. But um, when sleep and rest no longer refuel you, that's another indicator. There are more, but I'll, I'll finish on this one. Um, you're not laughing anymore, not having fun. Mm-hmm. You're watching Netflix and you don't laugh or, you know, you hear these great jokes and you're kind of like, huh, huh. <laughs> I remember, remember I, I was like three or four months into burnout. I was listening to the radio driving home and I heard something on the radio that was just funny. And I laughed out loud and I caught myself in the moment because I thought, I don't think I've heard myself laugh since the spring. Ooh. And that was a sign I was getting better. So you should, you should be experiencing the highs and the lows mm. normally. And in life, there are a lot of highs and there are a lot of no's. Mm. And, and you can be full on burnout. Like when I burned out, I was probably like cruising into burnout for a while. But when I burned out, my body quit. Like if you don't declare a finish line, your body will. So my body declared a finish line and said, enough. All right, we're not doing this anymore. But there's this thing that I call low-grade burnout. And that is when you've got some of the signs, but not all of the signs. And the joy of life continues, or the functions of life continue, but the joy of life is gone. So the mm. functions of life continue. You get up, you go to work, go to your kids' games, but the joy of life is gone. You're not enjoying any of it. And I think probably 70 80% of the population are there in any given moment. It's pretty brutal right now. Yeah, I can. I mean, it, I think it resonates with a lot of folks. And I think, you know, listening to your story, a lot of what you were doing were these were all good things, growth. I mean, so, you know, Greg McEwen, who I know you've had on a few times, yeah. he's talks about it, just because it's good doesn't mean that it's necessarily what you should be doing or essential. Um, 
Oh, that's such a good point, you know, because a lot of people would say, well, there's nothing wrong. Like in my case at that time, it was a growing church and there were yeah. genuine conversions. People yeah. actually became Christians. People's lives were changed forever. Uh, we had wonderful friendships. I have two wonderful sons who are now in their 20s. I had a beautiful wife. Like on the outside, it was all going great, but on the inside, it was too much of a good thing. And it was me not knowing how to say no, not knowing how to scale, not knowing how to grow an organization and taking on too much. I had a terrible formula for success, which is in my case, more people or put, you know, more responsibility more promotion, more whatever, but mm -hmm. more whatever equals more hours. That mm -hmm. was my solution. It's like what used to take me eight hours a day now takes me 10, then it takes me 12, then it takes me 14, but I'm not a robot. Like, and, and it's such a false equation, Cal, because, you know, on the one hand, yeah, I could work 16 hours a day. That's going to make me pretty dim witted by the weekend, but I could do it. But ironically, I'm working less and accomplishing way more. Like there's a law of leverage in there mm -hmm. that most people meet. Um, I, I've never been to Necker Island. I don't know whether you have, no. but uh, it's where Richard Branson lives. Oh, yeah. I've had friends who've been there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he has 400 companies in the Virgin Empire. And I mean, he just went to space. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> the guy's got a few things going on, but apparently if you go to Necker Island, I'm going to tell this story long enough until he finally says, Carrie, come on down, see for yourself. Okay. <laughs> but, but if you go to Necker Island, this guy who runs 400 companies, like greets you in a t-shirt and a bathing suit and just like, Hey, Cal, good to see you, man. How you doing? Um, would you like to come in? Can I get you something to drink? You want to mm -hmm. go out on the jet ski? Like, what do you want to do? You want to sit in the hammock? You want to chat? He's got all the time in the world. And if you mm. think about the really high capacity leaders, mm. often that's true. They're not running around like doing this interview while they're on their phone going, hang on, Cal, yeah. hang on. Let me, let me just yeah. get this text. Right. Okay. Yeah. But so many people stuck in the middle and that was me. I was just mm -hmm. running around like a chain with my head cut off and I wasn't helping anybody. Mm. Yeah. And so much of this, like I, I think about what you just described, Richard Branson being able to be present, like being able to present. be with, with you in that moment. And, and that's how you get the richness out of life. And, and you mentioned you could be living with low-grade burnout. Everything seems like it's going well, but you don't have any joy. You don't want to laugh because you're not able to be, be present. And honestly, Carrie, and you're, you're a pastor, so maybe you could speak to this. But I think when I look at my own life, a lot of my striving when I get off kilter, it goes back to identity. Where is mm -hmm. my identity? Where, where, what am I striving for? And, you know, I actually was talking to a men's group and I was talking about my schedule and growth and all these things. And, you know, he helpfully reminded me like, Cal, you just make sure that you have that solid identity rooted in something that will last, like in, in this case, Christ, so that as you're pursuing all these things, you know, you don't make idols out of them um, because we all tend to do that. You know, it's Tim Keller. I think it was Tim Keller that says like our hearts are idol factories. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I wonder, do you, do you think that that is a big part of this when you, when you kind of break it down to its core, it's, you know, we're, our identities are often being put in accomplishments or not that those are bad things, certainly not. Um, but I just wonder if, if that is a part of this. For driven people, for sure. Yeah. My identity was in my performance and I had to work through that with counselors and coaches 
And so I remember there was one day where I came home and I always ask my wife, she's my biggest fan, my best critic, best critic, not biggest critic, best critic. <laughs> and, you know, you preach. That's what you do as a preacher, right? And at the time I was probably doing, I don't know, 50, 55 messages a year because we had a midweek service. And I asked her, how was it? And she said, oh, it was good. I said, good, like good or great. And she said, she said, it, it was good. And I said, mm. okay, but you're not saying great. And I said, what, what, what is, what did I need to do to make it great? And she just looked at me and she said, I don't know what that hole inside you is. You're trying mm. to get me to fill, but I don't think I can fill it. Ooh. And she was right. Mm. Like, you know, that's the problem when, when, you're addicted to performance or success or metrics, whatever your number is, or it could be if you're big into social media, number of likes, number of yep. followers, growth rates, right? All these things are drugs. All these things are addictive. And again, it masqueraded for me in the church because, and, and I'm not diminishing the, season, the, the harvest of life change that we saw in that season. I'm not, I don't look back on that. That wasn't fake. That was real. Yeah. But there was a leader in place that God needed to do more work on me, and he needed to do more work on my heart to say, okay, Carrie, so we got you here, but what got you here won't get you there. And now I'm, I'm you know, able to influence far more people than we did back then. And I still have to sift through my motives daily, but I'm, you're exactly right. I am trying to root my identity in Christ to that month off. I didn't look at the metrics. I didn't know how many people listened to my podcast. I didn't know whether we were profitable that month because now I run a communications company, right? I didn't know any of that stuff. And uh, we did a launch of a course while I was gone. I'd always been involved in that. I just kind of let it go because that is not mm. my identity. Mm. And I have to trust the team. And you know, who are you when no one's looking? Rick Warren said years ago, never put your identity in anything that can be taken away from you. And that's really good. Your career can disappear. Um, you know, what do I do? I think for a living, I interview people, I write books. But if I get a brain injury, right, that would, that would probably be because a physical thing, okay, I could do this from a wheelchair if I had to, but, but a, a brain injury, okay, well, that's not my identity. Um, who am I? I'm loved by God, redeemed by Christ, called to love other people, to be a faithful husband to Tony, my wife, to... I hope write well. Um, but again, whether my book succeeds or hits number one in its category or hits a New York Times bestseller list, like those celebrations last for about an hour and you get the, these endorphins that just rush in and you feel amazing. And then you're like, oh crap, I'm not number one anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. So then, then what do you do? And that Keller has done a lot of work on identity. It's so helpful because I think as culture has shifted to, to a postmodern matrix and God has become less of our everyday life, I speak as a person of faith, we're looking for something to believe in. And it could be ourselves, it could be our career, it could be money, it could be looks, it could be health, it could be, um, you name it, like, like it was Calvin and, and, and Keller who would say that the human brain is a factory of idols. As soon as you slay one, there's a new one, right? So, okay, I'm not greedy anymore. I don't know that that's true, but then, oh, but now I'm prideful because I'm mm -hmm. not greedy. So I'm proud of how righteous I am. It's like, ugh, you know, that's the lifelong process of growth and sanctification, all of those things. And it just, yeah, I'm still, I'm still in it. So the demons that got me in my 30s are generally not the ones that have me in my 50s. 
But in your 50s, you just have a whole new set. And I am mm-hmm. testing my motives. And I am trying to let go. And I am wrestling down control in my life. So I think that's a lifelong process. And it, it, the, the thing to remember is ambition is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. God uses ambition. The Apostle Paul was highly ambitious. And you know, Andy Stanley's theory on the Apostle Paul is Peter was doing a good job and God looked down and went, well, we need someone to blow this up. Okay, I'm going to go talk to Paul. Paul's so driven and ambitious and zealous. He'll just, he'll just take it all over the world. <laughs> and you know, a bit of tongue in cheek, but there might be some truth there. So ambition is not a, be, a, a bad thing. It just needs to be redeemed. It needs to be sanctified. It needs to be purified. And so your motive, you know, if you're using power to benefit other people, if you're using your platform, not just to champion your own ideas, but other people and to benefit other people, if it starts to be an outward focused, it's much better than feed me, feed me, feed me, make me feel good about myself, mm-hmm. which is just a horrible trap that there is no bottom to that pit. Yeah. And so, Carrie, you, you've already talked about this season of burnout. Did you continue pastoring? much longer after that? Or did you shift to leadership, uh, thought leadership and focusing on leaders? Yeah, I did almost a decade after that. Oh, wow. So I came back to the church. The elders offered me a sabbatical, which was very kind, but I kind of figured I would never come back, even though I felt called the ministry still. So uh, yeah, I led led that church. It eventually morphed into Connexus Church. We built a building, all that stuff. Uh, and then about six years ago, I handed it over to a successor. So I had just turned 50. And one of the biggest concerns of my life is the church was way bigger than it was when I started. It was just a handful of people. And I felt a responsibility. And I didn't want the church to get old with me or die with me or just kind of fizzle out. So while it was at its peak, I handed it over to a successor. We're still involved. We still give. We still serve. We still help. Uh, but it's his. And then this little hobby I developed, I needed hobbies. That's another thing. Here's here's a burnout test. Do you have any hobbies? It's like, I don't have time for hobbies. It's like, okay, you should pay attention to that. I didn't have time for hobbies either. Look what that did to me. So now I barbecue, I bike, and I boat. That's what I do, the three Bs. But for it. a while, I was, I was writing. And I thought, I, I enjoy writing, and I wanted to write a book. So I wrote a book and then started blogging. And then the blog kind of took off. And then I wanted to do a podcast. So a few years ago, I started a podcast. It took off. Mm -hmm. And then when I stepped out of the lead pastor role, um, between speaking, blogging, and podcasting, it's now what I do full time. Mm -hmm. What what is your why for doing that? Because I listened Mm -hmm. to your... First of all, let me just say your podcast is incredible. And I I mean, I put your podcast with Tim Ferriss. I mean, like it is your ability, and and especially as someone who tries to do this... (laughs) You're really good. You're, you're pre- I don't know what your preparation process is, but you're, it, it really is like you describe as you're trying to do, which is just two people at dinner having a conversation. That's what it feels like. So kudos to you. It's a great podcast, but I'm curious, what is your why for wanting to pour into leaders? It's a great question because I stumbled into it by accident. Like this was a hobby. This is like, I want to. I need to do something other than my day job. So I was a writer, you know, you write as a communicator, even as an attorney, you know, I I was decent at writing. And then this thing became a thing and millions of leaders showed up and I'm like, oh, now what? Right. Oh boy. (laughs) And uh, so really I did pray through it for a while. It was a hobby and then even a paid hobby. So it wasn't really a hobby, but it was sort of like, yeah, I'm doing this, but I don't really have a staff. I had a couple of assistants and I could shut this down anytime I wanted, but like, 
I'm 56 and I think there might be two and a half or three decades ahead. And I've sat on a few beaches. I can't sit on beaches for very long. <laughs> and uh, I really enjoy what I do. Like it's a passion. I feel like it's, it's that Eric little quote, you know, when I, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I don't when I run, but I do <laughs> when, when I equip leaders. Mm. And so I really feel like part of the heart of it is this simple line I talk about in the at your best book which is live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. Mm. And I think that's a business leader, military leader, uh, church leader axiom. And I didn't for a long time. I lived in a way today that would help me struggle tomorrow. I figured out the formula in, in a way that helps me live in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow. But I've also learned because before I wrote the book, I was able to train several thousand dollars, several thousand dollars, several thousand leaders in, um, and I did it. I did it for free for a long time. And, you know, it's just a book. I did a course on it. I would speak on it. And I realized this helps other people. So that's a real MO. And I feel like I want to make a contribution with my life. And this is an area I really enjoy. And as to the podcast, like, I love that. For some reason, I have this network that's been built over the last few years. And I talked to a, a author who's an author who sold a lot of books last night. We did a rare evening interview just because of his schedule and my schedule. So we started at seven. I think we finished at 9.15. The aired interview will go almost <laughs> two hours. Wow. And at the end, I don't want to name him because I'm telling tales out of school. But at the end, he's like, oh, man, I was so rambling and so... Uh, and I'm like, no, you weren't. Hmm. I said, it was just, it was like a dinner conversation. Mm -hmm. And so what motivates the podcast is I have access to people like Greg McEwen and Seth Godin mm -hmm. and Simon Sinek and Andy Stanley and, and, and this guy who, who are willing to come on to my podcast. And I try to have the conversations that other people maybe wouldn't have, you know, mm -hmm. more than the sound bites of the book and just be curious and be open. And for some reason, millions of leaders every year show up to listen. So. It's like, that's a pretty good combination. I really enjoy it. And I try to run everything I do through a helpful filter. You know, when I send out a daily email, it's like, is this going to help Cal? Mm. When I release a course, is this going to help Cal? Does it have the potential mm. to? And you don't have to buy it because a lot of what I do is free, but the 1% that people pay for kind of funds everything. And so I just try to run everything through a helpful filter. And I find I feel more fulfilled when I'm helping other people than when I'm simply trying to help myself. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing it. And I, I'm excited to watch you continue to do it. Uh, I, I'm curious. So this book, At Your Best, uh, my understanding it's being released in September. It is. What, what, kind of, what was the genesis for writing that book? Well, I thought I was going to write a burnout book. And then I realized I'm not going to write a burnout book. I'm going to write a recovery from burnout book. So there's <laughs> only a little, we just dip our toe in the water for a second on burnout and try to get people a diagnosis as to how burned out they might be. But it's like, hey, whether you're burned out or stressed out or overwhelmed, overcommitted or overworked, we just want you to help get the three assets we get every day, time, energy, and priorities working for you, not against you. Every leader's had the experience. You ever have this, Cal, where you go into the office as an attorney, you're like, oh, I have no courtroom work. I have no client meetings. I'm going to get a boatload of stuff done. And what happens by four o'clock, five o'clock, seven o'clock at night? Well, um, you worked all day. Yeah. I'm disappointed. Nothing, <laughs> nothing checked off your to-do list. <laughs> right. And you're like, what the heck just happened? Yes. It yes. Wasn't, wasn't like you were watching Netflix, mm. 
But what happened is you let other people and you let, um, you live totally reactively. You let other people determine what would get done because it was a series of interruptions. You had 72 text messages, you know, 120 emails, uh, a whole bunch of people banging on your door, demanding your time. You got nothing done. You go home. You're married, right? Do you have any mm-hmm. kids or no yeah, kids? I do have one. Yeah. One on the okay. way. <laughs> so who pays the price when you have a bad day? Yeah, they do. Yeah. They always do. Because then you're like, yeah, I want to watch Disney with you, but I can't because I got to get this done. Or yeah. you're watching Disney Plus with your son, daughter. Daughter. Yeah. Daughter. With your daughter. And she wants you to be engaged. And you're like, you got your laptop open. You got your yeah. phone on and you're sneaking yeah. emails at 10 o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night. And that's what happens. And I live that way. And that's what led to my burnout. And so now I don't live that way anymore. And so, you know, the book is about how to get time, energy, and priorities working for you, not against you. So that doesn't happen. So you, in the book, you talk about the two, two specific frameworks. You've got the stress spiral, and then you have the thrive cycle, which I love. Uh, tell us, we've already talked a little bit about it, but like, what is that stress spiral? Because I think a lot of us can relate to it. And then, and then let's talk about the thrive cycle because I'd love the leaders to, I'd love for leaders to walk away with some practical things they could go do to get to a better place. Yeah, let's get super practical. So the stress spiral, I'm going to say 80% of your audience is in it right now. So that is you feel overwhelmed, overworked, and overcommitted. And the reason that happens is time, energy, and priorities. Your, your time is unfocused, your energy is unleveraged, and your priorities keep getting hijacked. They just they never get realized. It's like, okay, I had a wide open day. I had this list of things I was going to get done. I got one thing crossed off the list. Now I have 11 more things on my list. I'm further behind than when I started. So that's the spiral that most people live in. And you just eventually consign yourself to, well, I guess this is what life is and it sucks. And maybe at some point in 30 years, I'll get out of it, right? Maybe I'll retire on a beach if I don't have a heart attack. Not much of a life. So then what's a thrive cycle? The thrive cycle is what took me five years to figure out on the other side of burnout through coaching, counseling, a lot of like guinea pigging on myself, reading time management experts. So it's kind of the opposite of the stress spiral and it's a virtuous loop. So you start focusing your time, leveraging your energy and realizing your priorities that results in you. And you do it by doing what you're best at when you're at your best. We can unpack that. And that results in you living in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. So for me, I'm thinking every day, I haven't burned out in 15 years by the grace of God. Once or twice, I, I thought, uh-oh, am I going down that, that rabbit hole? And I didn't uh, get a couple nights sleep. You bounce back. It's like, good. Everybody has a few bad days or a bad week or whatever. Um, but you know, you you want to operate in really ideal conditions. And there are conditions like if you plant a cactus in the Amazon, it's going to rot. If you plant a bird of paradise in the desert, it's going to wither and die. And so you got to figure out what are the conditions that help. So you need to focus your time, leverage your energy, and make sure your priorities don't get hijacked. Um, if you want, we can talk a little bit about leveraging energy because that's what most people find out about like is the superpower of the book. So happy to go there. Yeah, That's let's helpful. do that. And I, I just want to make one point that yeah. really stood out to me in your book. You, you talked about how a lot of us will get in the habit of using this terminology. It's like, oh, it's just a season. It's just a season. Oh, yeah. And I, the other day I was a friend asked me, how you doing, Cal? I was like, oh, I'm busy. But you know, it's just a season that I'm busy. And that literally becomes what we say, but then it becomes uh-huh. our life. 
And so I, I love this. I love what you're talking about. So yeah, let's dive in. What do you think are some of the keys to, to really leveraging your energy? Yeah. So time management, there's a million books out there and I've got a couple of things. Number one was a huge realization. I actually have the time. I always told myself, mm. I don't have the time for that. Sorry, Cal, don't have the time to interview you. Reality is you have as much time as anyone else. You have mm -hmm. as much time as Richard Branson, <laughs> as much time as your next door neighbor, as much time as your retired friend, uh, as much time as a toddler. Like You just have it. So you want to write that book, you actually have the time to write the book. You, mm. you want to launch a podcast, you have the time to do that. You want to go on a meaningful trip with your family, you could actually take a month off. You mm. could. You just didn't make the time. Mm. So that is, that's being honest with yourself because as long as we're saying there's no way I can get that done, yes, you could. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have the time for that. You did. So yeah. stop lying to yourself. Mm. And uh, then you get into energy management. There's more on time, but we'll flip to energy. Energy management is everybody gets 24 equal hours in the day, but not all hours feel equal. And we all kind of know this intuitively, right? Are you a morning person, a night owl? Daniel Pink breaks it down in his book, When, where he shows that, you know, I forget what his percentages are, but maybe 20%, I'm going to say for argument's sake, are morning people, a similar amount are, are night owls. And then um, a lot of people are middle of the day people, like they have their best hours. Mm -hmm. So the theory is you have three to five peak hours in a day. And that's about it. And so when you look at the science, that's actually true. Cal Newport would agree. Mm -hmm. Daniel Pink would agree. I talked to Claire Diaz Ortiz, who used to work at Twitter. She agrees. Like This is not an IQ thing. It's just the fact that you and I aren't robots. For me, those peak hours happen between about 7 and 11 a.m. And then if I'm lucky, I get an hour after lunch. Yeah. And when you're, I call that your green zone. So that's when you're at your best. You're in your green zone. Your green zone is when the ideas you're in the flow, you are coming up with some really fresh concepts, uh, your meetings, you're alert, engaged, deeply empathetic, listening. Um, you're really at your best, right? So as a writer, I know I might have 60,000 words I'm responsible for, but that's not just sitting down for 14 hours a day typing at the keyboard, I'm, I'm going to produce better stuff in the morning than I do at two o'clock in the afternoon. So you have mm -hmm. three to five peak hours in a day. Then you have one or two hours in the day. That's your green zone. One or two hours in the day where you're kind of really dragging your knuckles. You're tired. Mm -hmm. You need multiple cups of caffeine to even stay awake <laughs> through the meeting. Most of us have one or two of those hours during the working day. Mine are between four and six. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I call your red zone. So green zones at your best, red zone, you're kind of at your worst and you can still work, but like, you know, it's, it's tough slugging. You, you can barely get your inbox cleared out. That's how, how tired you are. And then everything in between the rest of the day is your yellow zone. And that's where you're not at your best, you're not at your worst. You have moderate amount of energy. You can do good work, maybe not your best work, but really good work. You can be engaged in meetings. So green, yellow, red. And the mistake a lot of people make, first of all, they don't realize that your energy waxes and wanes over the course of the day. And secondly, the work, your most important work gets assigned erratically. So, you know, how do you spend your green zone? In my case, it's the morning. Well, if I do a breakfast meeting in the morning, it might be an important thing, but you know how breakfast meetings work. Leave the house at 6.30, hit the restaurant at 7. It's supposed to be done at 8, but it went till 8.30 because it was a good meeting. Then you stop at the drive-thru. Uh, you get into the office at 9 because you're getting your coffee. 
people knock at your door, you're catching up with people. Then you realize you have 17 unread emails. So you do that. Then you haven't checked social yet for the day. It's 11 o'clock. And by that time, you've spent, I've spent all of my best energy and I haven't done my most important work. My most important work was not to be at the drive-through, not to chit-chat in the office, not to go to that semi-random breakfast meeting. It was to produce a chapter for my mm-hmm. book, or it was mm-hmm. to write a sermon or to prepare for an interview that was really important. I'm interviewing Simon Sinek. I got to get ready, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I've blown that. And then what do you do? If you're really gifted in an area, you leave it till the end of the day. And you're like, I got to prep for that case. Mm-hmm. It's it's up tomorrow. It's yeah. four o'clock in the afternoon. You're on your eighth cup of coffee and you're not doing a good job. And if you, if you look at what Malcolm Gladwell says, what do the top performers in the world do? They don't just use their gift, they develop it. Mm-hmm. So what you should be doing in your green zone, doing your most important work, your most strategic work, the stuff, not the urgent, the important, the really big rocks you got to move. So in my case, that's communication, vision, writing, preparation, the stuff that requires, to quote Cal Newport, your deepest work. Do that when you're at your best. And then if you get like, what's the most important thing on your calendar this week, would you say, or this month? Just pick something random. My most important thing would be uh, making sure my counselor trained. So doing like courtroom training. Because that's it to me. I view that that's an investment in my team. That's going to pay how long, how long is that going to take you to do it, it well? It takes it two hours a week, I would say. Oh, just, that's it. If, if I just got two hours a week, because they're busy and I don't want to take too much of their time, but that's to me, that's a win. If I can get two hours a week amidst all the other stuff they have going on of quality training, that's a win. Are you a morning person, afternoon, night owl? I'm a morning person. Yeah. Morning but, person. It, but, it, but I would just say too, Carrie, in order for that training to go well, I need to spend a good bit of time preparing for that training. Go, Yeah. Okay. And how long will that take you? Well, and this is interesting too, because I've been doing it for a while. So I could get mm-hmm. up there and wing it and it would be okay. I mean, it'd probably be good. Um, it wouldn't be great <laughs> to your <laughs> wife's point, you know? Uh, so it would probably, I, I would probably need four hours to make it really, really good. So about six, seven hours total. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is interesting. You hinted at something that I really have become aware of. And it goes back to Gladwell's stuff and Outliers, his book from 14 years ago or whenever. Such a good book. I reread it recently. But to be best in the world, right? You really need to develop your gift. So that means you're studying other courtroom techniques, not just mm-hmm. case law, but like what is better advocacy? How mm-hmm. do you make an effective point? How do you what is what is the latest in cross examination, right? How do you yeah. how do you convince a judge's mind? How do you mm-hmm. how do you change a judge's mind? So that's probably reading books, watching videos, maybe taking a course, uh, doing some meaningful googling and finding some great articles, maybe in Harvard Business Review or something like that from the Harvard Negotiation Project, mm-hmm. or, or something like that, right? So you're really doing the work. And as you said, what'll happen is even doing it for a while, so you can cheat. I call that cheating your gift. And cheating your gift happens when you use your gift because you'll be okay. You'll be fine. You'll train those leaders, but but you'll never develop it. Mm-hmm. And what happens over time, it's a little bit like not saving for the future, right? Mm-hmm. So didn't save in my 20s. Now I'm in my 30s. If I start now, yeah, I will get some compound returns. But what happens if you just put 50 bucks away a week starting at age 19, you're going to be very, very wealthy by the age of 60. And it's just 50 bucks a week. 
But if you start doing that at 19, you're going to be way ahead. So if you start reading every day a little bit mm-hmm. in your green zone. So let's say to solve your problem, let's say starting next week on Monday, you're like first three hours, no breakfast meetings, whatever. Start at seven, eight, nine, doesn't really matter. You're just going to block 6 a.m. I don't care. You're going to block the world out, turn off all the notifications on your devices, and you're going to work from what time would you start? Perfect start time. So Carrie, we we work out in the morning. So the perfect start time for me would be probably like 830 Okay. On a, that's that's a realistic time for me to start after our so workouts. If you started at eight thirty, could you totally block off time till eleven thirty? You know, I probably could. I probably yeah. could. It would it would definitely be a shift in what I because I I kind of often leave my schedule unless I have a scheduled meeting. I rarely block, even though I know I should. I rarely will block off like okay, this is Cal's time to do things like that, like research. Uh, so that I can train my counsel better. Right. And that's exactly what you do. You put it as an appointment. We have an at your best calendar. People can download for free. You put it in your calendar and you put down research or training prep or whatever you call it. I just put it writing in my calendar. Mm-hmm. And that way, when I go to interrupt you, it's like, hey, Cal, you want to grab coffee Monday morning at 10? You you look at your calendar and you go, Carrie, I'm sorry, I have a commitment. Mm-hmm. Now, the commitment is to yourself, mm-hmm. to your future, to your team, to your most important work. But you see how that starts to work? Yeah. yeah. So let's say you do that Monday. Let's say you do it again Tuesday. So you got six hours now between Monday and Tuesday. How do you feel by Tuesday at noon? Because you've already developed yeah. it. Now you got two hours of training in on Tuesday mm-hmm. with one of your top people. How are yeah. you emotionally feeling about your week by Tuesday at noon? Yeah, I, I would feel great. And I would feel more present and available to do those other things. Like you said, if, yeah. when you, when you, when you don't do the, when you haven't prepared for that podcast with Simon Sinek, you're probably thinking about that when you're at dinner with your wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are, you know, you are totally thinking about yeah. that. David Allen talks about that and getting things done. And he calls those open loops. Yeah. And what happens is you're like, I didn't get to it. I didn't get to it. Mm-hmm. And you're driving home and you're going to go see your daughter and she's going to mm-hmm. want to do something with you. And you're like, but I'm not ready for Simon Sinek. I'm not right. ready for court tomorrow. Yeah. Right. And this is this is the magic, right? If you use those three hours and and I hope they're in the morning because I think it makes mm-hmm. it easy, mm-hmm. but maybe they're in the afternoon, maybe they're in the evening. When you do that on a repeated daily or let's say even three days a week, what happens is by the time you get out of your green zone, so for me and you, it's around 11 a.m., mm-hmm. you could almost go home. Mm-hmm. You could almost like, yeah, I got an inbox to em- to empty and you know I have a couple of meetings I have to do and better get back to this guy about that. But you were so focused and you move so many important things in that time, your most important things, the weight that takes off your shoulder. And then the other thing, like that deposit over time, you're going to get better and better and better at it. So, you know, I'm 437 episodes into my podcast mm-hmm. right now. I have spent hundreds of hours, maybe over a thousand hours prepping, thousands mm-hmm. of hours. I don't know. Yeah. I don't keep track prepping for interviews. So I've gotten better at questions. Mm -hmm. I've gotten better at research. I've gotten better at all those things. And then it starts to compound like money in the bank. That's how you really develop your skill set. And when that happens and you're so good, number one, if you charge by the hour or whatever, your rate just went up or you're going to get a promotion or you can start your own thing or whatever that looks like. And it just starts to really compound. Plus, when you get home, you know, I'm ready for that interview. I'm ready for court tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I'm ready for training those eight people I'm going to train tomorrow. 
And when you show up for dinner, you got energy left on the table. You can be fully present for your wife, for your kids. And, uh, and you're there and you go to bed early and not worry about it because that's the other trap, right? Kind of take care of the family Thank stuff you. at nine o'clock, the laptop opens again. And you're like, just one more hour. Yeah, Meanwhile, right. you're falling asleep at the keyboard. Yeah. You, you miss your bedtime yeah. and you've just screwed up tomorrow. Yeah. Or like, since I'm in the military and I've been in the military for a while, I'll often just say, oh, I'll just get up earlier. I'll just get up at 3 a.m. And that's, and then I'm exhausted and then I'm not good in the moment when I need to be. Uh, so Carrie, one question on just a practical yeah. question to follow up, because I'm kind of middle management. If you look at my role, I've got a boss, I've got a team. And mm-hmm. so I don't have total control over my calendar. And so I could see, or, or, you know, someone listening to this conversation who can relate to my position might say, okay, Carrie, that sounds great, but I, I'm a servant leader. I want to be available to my team. You know, me blocking off three hours in the morning almost feels selfish. And so I wonder what you would say to that leader like me, who's middle management, who does want to be available to their team, but then also wants to do their best work. Yeah. A few things. First of all, how selfish is it for you to be super healthy and to perform at your highest level? Probably not that selfish. Most bosses, your boss, and I'm so glad you raised this question because I get it every time I talk about this. So glad we're going there. Your boss would be. I'm sure thrilled if you start developing the best training program mm-hmm. in your division. Yeah, it's true. You're like, you should see Cal, man. He's crushing it. He's killing it. Mm-hmm. He was good before. He's great now. So first of all, mm-hmm. you're going to get your boss's attention. The second thing is, you're right. We feel like we don't have control. So let's break that down mathematically for a minute. Um, 168 hours in a week, typical work week, some are longer, some are shorter. Let's just say 40 for, the argu- for argument's sake. Um, that gives you total control over 128 hours in a week, which sounds staggering. It's like 40 are spoken for, 128 are wide open. And you're like, well, we got you know soccer on Tuesday night and we got this on Wednesday and we're going to see my family on Thursday. And then we always do, it's like, yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. Those are all choices. Those are choices, right? You had the time. This is how you chose to fill them. If you want to go to bed at eight o'clock, you can go to bed at eight o'clock. I can go to bed at eight o'clock. I don't, but I could. You know, so we have a lot more choice than we think, but we always, as humans, we focus on what we can't control, not on what we can control. So, what can you control? Well, step one, you can control 128 hours in the week. What about work? If you work at Starbucks, yeah, you pretty much are on the clock, not a lot of discretion. It's like make those frappuccinos, right? <laughs> that that's your job. But if you're in an office job like I am, and probably a lot of your listeners are, where it's more of a an office environment or a knowledge worker environment, it's a little bit different. So I have polled hundreds of leaders about this. So this is semi-scientific, but I'm like, okay, so of you, well, let's do it right now with you. So of your 40 hour, is it a 40 hour work week roughly? Yeah, push that's, that's fair. Yeah. 40 okay, so hours. So let's just pick 40 as an easy number. Yeah. Okay. How much of that is spoken for? You have to be at this management team meeting in court with your boss. Um, what I mean is you don't have control over it. No, I got to yeah. be in the boardroom at noon. You know, it's interesting you asked that question because I, for me, not that much. I mean, I, I have a good bit of autonomy. I mean, there are certain, I, I would say uh, five hours, which is actually okay. surprising. I don't know that I've ever processed that, but thinking about that in real time, I would say five hours of the 40. 
That week. is always the reaction mm-hmm. whenever I ask that question. And, mm-hmm. and the highest I've gotten is 12, mm. 12 hours. When you think about it, that's barely a work day. That's a work mm-hmm. day and a half yeah. of like committed time where you have to be. So you think about that. You now have freedom over 35 of those 40 hours of work, which is incredible. So mm-hmm. let's, let's pick a worst case scenario. Let's pick the saddest story of, of, of a listener out there who says, Carrie, well, Cal's got five. You're a CEO. Okay. I got 20 hours a week. Okay. Mm-hmm. 20 hours a week of command performance meetings. Be here at this time in this place, mm-hmm. fully present. You don't have a choice. That still gives you, are you ready? Control over 88% of your week. So if 20 hours are spoken for, you have control over 88% of your week. That's crazy. That's only 12% that was pre-decided. So you have way more control than you think. And then the question is, well, now what do I do with that freedom? And the answer is figure out your zones. And um, you know, I've, I've got some resources at your at, at yourbesttoday.com if people are interested in finding yeah. it out. Plot it out on your calendar and start moving through that. And you will find your effectiveness and efficiency really starts to soar. And the better you get at it, it'll take some tweaks because maybe you didn't get your green zone quite right. Well, actually, I'm better at 6 a.m. or noon or whatever. So fix that. And then you'll start to receive some, some real compound interest because you're doing what you're best at when your energy is highest and you're at your best. Suddenly, your work is starting to soar. And then we can, we can you know, if you want to do, we've got some of this in the book, but like graduate level stuff, well, what about environment? Could you work at home some days or from a coffee shop or in an office? That's often negotiation. But again, if you go to your boss and say, hey, I've been working on this program that will make me more productive. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you're open to a dialogue about that. Mm-hmm. Most reasonable bosses would say, you're going to be more productive and help us move forward. I would like to have that conversation. You say, would you be open to an experiment boss where maybe I could work from home Mondays and Fridays? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I will be more effective. I'd like to propose it for two months. So we get a little bit of, of, and we can assess it at the end of those two months and we'll see whether I am producing better results. If not, we'll go back to the way it is. Are you open to that? Mm. Most reasonable bosses would say, sure. Now you better make sure it's actually an advantage for you and not just convenient. But when you get, cause I can't work in distractions. I don't know about you. I can't do yeah. coffee shops. Yeah. So this is this is my office. In the winter, I work here. In the summer, I work on my back porch. It's pretty quiet. I live in the country. I can focus, shut off all notifications on your devices, and then you're in the zone for three to five hours. And by the way, most people would say, well, why don't you extend your, your green zone to eight hours? It's because you're not a robot. Right. Cal Newport's done, done a lot of research on this. Most humans, he puts a number at four. I would put it at between three and five. Hmm. On a good day, I have three to five super productive hours in a day, and the rest is diminishing returns. Yeah. And Carrie, I know we only have about a minute left, but I, I think one okay. thing- I can flex a little more. Take okay. Time. Yeah. And one, one thing on that is knowledge work, which you've already talked about and Cal Newport talks about. It's great in a lot of ways. It gives us a lot of flexibility. But as you talk about in the book, it also can be all-consuming because you can do it at any time. For the most part, yes. you can do it from home. You can do it at night. You can do it in the morning. You don't have to be at Starbucks making lattes. You can be at your house. And so it, it can, if we're not careful, and I think it's probably a big reason why we are seeing so much burnout is because we don't know how to turn it off. And you also do a great job in the book of talking about uh, these distractions of our phones mm. and our technology and, and being able to 
create rules for ourselves about how to, how to manage that. And then lastly, Carrie, interesting too, you, you talking about me investing some time and, and how my boss would react to that. I think it would be a differentiator between me uh, and my office and other offices, for example, because everyone else is working the way we talked about. They're not in their green zone. They're probably trying to just do whatever, whenever, whatever makes sense. But those that really invest in that green zone are probably going to be the differentiators. So I, I just love the, the one taking ownership, but then also being willing to, to rethink how you do work. I really think leaders are going to see benefits for themselves and for their teams too. I would agree with Nir Al, who wrote a book called Indistractable. He also wrote Hooked, sort of book, anti-book, but, and then Cal Newport. They would both make the argument and I would join them to say, the ability to focus and produce results is becoming a superpower because mm-hmm. it's so rare. Mm-hmm. People are distracted. They're semi-burnt out or burnt out all the time. They're kind of doing whatever, whenever, all hours of the day and night. And we live not in our red, yellow, or green zone, but we live in a gray zone where everything's just a fog and a mist. And so if you're looking at, you know, when you're young, like long-term career, long-term prospects, or in my point where I work for myself, I'm looking at what contribution can I make with what remains of my life? Mm. What, what little dent in the universe can I make, hopefully, that will help people? It's like, oh, if I do this, I, and listen, I'm just as prone to anybody as wasting my green zone, I can get stuck on Amazon or Instagram and, you know, not pop up for an hour. And so, you know, we, we have to have, and I've got, you know, what was the big surprise on this? Cause everyone talks about what we just talked about with leveraging your energy as a superpower of the book. But I, I actually, the most real estate in the book is taken up with um, distractions because that is 2021 and beyond it's people who interrupt you. We didn't even touch on that. It's self-interruption. I do not need anyone to distract me. I am fully <laughs> capable of distracting myself because you get in your green zone and then you're like, ooh, I can watch these YouTube videos, right? Yeah. And next thing you know, it's lunch. And uh, so there's that. And then, and then there's um, how to recover when you, when you make mistakes. So we have all of those things. And then tasks, like how do I know? Well, what belongs in my green zone? And so th- there's a whole lot more there than we were able to touch on, but you start to get all of that going. And we have the privilege, like leaders access the content my little company produces about a million and a half times a month. Mm. And so if you had told burned out Carrie at 41, <laughs> hey, you know, these 800 people who go to your church and they almost put you in your coffin, they didn't, you did. Uh, one day you're going to have a million and a half. And I'm like, mm, I'm dead already. Right. But I'm doing it now with more margin. My wife and I, uh, we just had a hot tub installed today. So we're going to have a nice hot tub tonight. And I'm not bringing my laptop into that because that would be the last hot tub I ever had. Electrocute everybody. Right. So, um, no, we're, we're, you, you can enjoy life. I have hobbies. And that's the thing. Right. And think about this if you use your green zone like that, let's say four out of five days a week, by the time you get home and all your big stuff is done, and you got the inbox emptied and you're realizing what's important, what's not. When you get home, you're fully focused. You don't yeah. need to open that laptop. You can shut your phone down. You can play with your, your daughter, hang out with your wife, go for a date night, guilt-free. You get up at whenever you wait. I don't wake up with an alarm anymore. Whenever you wake up in the morning, in my case, it's usually between 4.30 and 6. Have a nice quiet hour in the morning. Really focus yourself. For me, that's a spiritual time of investment. And then get going on the next day and you'll be okay. 
And it's not about just waiting for that vacation, which I think so many folks, it's and me included, it's oh, let me just let me just take a vacation and then it'll all go away. Yeah, this is how you want to spend the next 25 years of your life, right, Cal? Just living for those two weeks a year. It's like 50 weeks of misery for two weeks a year. And this is this is the great fallacy. So in ministry, they don't do this in the military that I'm aware of, if they do correct me. But in ministry, sometimes uh, pastors get sabbaticals. And sometimes in really big, generous companies, you'll get a sabbatical. And so I've seen so many leaders go, I've never taken one, by the way. I've seen so many leaders go into sabbaticals like, oh, this will heal me. This will heal me. And then they go into their sabbatical. They feel great. And they come back and by 11 a.m. on the first day back, they get hit by the train and they're right back where they were. And here's why that doesn't work. Time off won't heal you when the problem is how you spend your time on. Mm -hmm. And for most of us, it's not your vacation that killed you. The beach was awesome. You know, maybe you cheated on email a little bit every day. Well, we can fix that. That's pretty easy to fix. But but it wasn't the beach. It wasn't the mountains. It wasn't Disney World with your daughter. It was getting back and being hit by a freight train at eight o'clock your first morning back. That's what killed you. And so what this book is about is not how to spend your vacation. Because please take a vacation. I just took a month off. Those are great. But I've got to learn how to live today in a way that will help me thrive tomorrow. And so when you get those daily rhythms gone, your stress, you know, we live in a crazy world. Okay. It's not going to go away. It will be greatly reduced. You'll get a lot more done in far less time. And you'll be present for the people and the things that matter most in your life and at work. Such a better way to live. Well, Carrie, thanks for writing the book and thanks for investing in the leaders on this podcast today. I really appreciate it. And um, I'll give you the final word. Anything else people need to know about where to find the book? or ways to follow you and what you're doing. Yeah, this is just something I want for your leaders because it just, it really does. I hear every day from leaders who are burning out, who are tired, who don't want to do it anymore. So I'd love for you to pre-order the book. Um, and if you do, we have a masterclass. We shot it in mm -hmm. Toronto. It's uh, we, we put a lot of time and energy into it. It will be for sale after the launch, but right now it's free. So it's a, a seven-part video companion to the book. You can pre-order audio, hardcover, or Kindle over at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you get your books. We've even got it listed at Indie Booksellers. And the, pardon me, the um, launch point for all of that is atyourbesttoday.com. So if you go to atyourbesttoday.com, you'll get that, a bunch of free downloads, including all the stuff I talked about. You can download an energy clock, a Thrive calendar you can plug into your phone, and a whole lot more. So we, we really loaded things up for you before the book launches, and you can get that at atyourbesttoday.com. At your today.com. And I'll put links to that in the show notes. Carrie, thank you so much. And uh, man, I, um, it was a privilege to be able to connect with you today. I hope we can continue this dialogue. It's been a joy. Thanks, Cal. Thanks for having me. All right, Carrie. Take care, brother. Hey, friends. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Carrie. Man, one of the things, so much of what he said resonated with me. But at the end there, what he said about your time off won't heal you if the problem is how you spend your time on. And that really deeply resonated with me. Also, I'll be honest, some of the, the signs he talked about with burnout, I can say that I have experienced some of those, uh, maybe not all of those, but a good number of those. And I'd be interested to hear from you. You can email me at cal at calwalters.me. Let me know if any of those resonated with you. And obviously, as Kerry said, he's not a doctor. 
It's not a medical diagnosis, but those are just some of the things that he's picked up as he's dealt with thousands of leaders on this topic. And I love that he's offering leaders a better way. And I think as leaders, we have to be so intentional about how we're spending our time, how we're managing our priorities, how we're managing our energy. We can't do it all. We can't do it all. I am confronted with that every single day. I can't do it all. I want to be someone who lives in line with my values. And oftentimes that looks like me saying no, because if I don't say no, I don't have margin. And if I don't have margin, I'm not at my best. Then I'm not reading. I'm not praying. I'm not being the type of father and husband that I need to be. And so this, this takes constant tweaking It takes constant reminders because I think all of us tend towards maybe overworking and overcommitting, especially in the world that we live in where there's constant distractions and there's constant good things that we could be doing. So I hope you'll check out his book, At Your Best. Also, if you got something out of this and you want to partner with us financially, consider joining our Patreon team. Just go to patreon.com slash calwalters. You can join us financially with a dollar or $5 a month. It really helps us as we try to impact leaders literally all over the world. We have a passion, especially for younger leaders, and we have a very ambitious goal that's going to take time and resources to produce. So if you want to partner with us in the early stages, please go to Patreon, patreon.com slash CalWalters to join us. Friends, I hope you go and be intentional about the way you spend your time, your energy, your priorities. Find that green zone that you have. Email me if you'd like to give some feedback or discuss this further at cal at calwalters.me and go and make it a great day. Remember that life is short, so let's go make it count.